redemption to make us so over the gratefulness of what you've done in Jesus Christ in saving us. We would come to that place that we would wake up each and every day desiring nothing more but to give ourselves away for your glory. We know that that's a process. We know that that doesn't overnight. Lord, for many of us in this room here today, we live for it. You've done so much. You've saved us from so much. We come on this Lord's Day as a gathering, corporate gathering to express to do nothing more or nothing less but to give ourselves away to you. Lord, that's why I'm even here. You called me out of the darkness that I once inhabited. I went about, most sinners do, seeking for the pleasures of myself, pleasures of this world. One day, I heard your voice through the gospel message preach, and I became a new creation. And I've been pursuing you ever since. That pursuit has led me here to where now I don't even know how, but I stand each and every Lord's Day in front of your people to proclaim your word. Lord, I am deeply indebted to you that you would take such a broken, fatherless, poor kid and you would place your spirit within me. For here I stand. Come now, Holy Spirit. Speak through me, your servant, that your people may be edified and therefore you are glorified what we were about to hear and be proclaimed into the ears of your people. This I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, please, um, as is our custom now, we're no longer putting the scriptures up on the screen, so look in front of you. You should have some pew Bibles, black ones here, and let's grab a copy of this, God's Word. And I want you to get used to filling the pages in your hand. They feel good. They feel good. So stand with me, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. And we're reading from the ESV translation. So let's read God's word together. The word of God that never goes away, though we do at times, but this word will always be. Here it goes, um, says, verse 13. So now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who, had, who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that they, it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, 
whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. And finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. See the screen here? It says, first keynote and only keynote. Here it goes, the, fl- the grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Today on church calendar, we call the church calendar, we call this day Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, or some would say the Passion Sunday, um, which is Sunday before Jesus makes his journey to the cross in the city of Jerusalem where he will suffer and be crucified for the sins of his people. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. There was no guile. There was no sin. He didn't retaliate. Why is he suffering? Because of us. Well, next Friday is called Good Friday. And we will have here, I think Michael said it in his announcements, our first, our first official Good Friday service here at UHCC. So if you can make it out, please do. Be our first. It's called Good Friday. I was like, man, why is it called Good Friday? In church history, though the term Good Friday is a paradox in many ways. It's actually a time of deep reflecting on what Jesus has for us. We have to think about that. And that's what you're saying Friday. We just read scriptures to you. Some will cry. I know in my old church where Sandra and I were in Grand Rapids, we used to, that's a pretty expensive cross that we're not going to nail. Well, we probably should, but, you know, it didn't be all really jagged edge up. But in the old church back in Grand Rapids, we had a cross they would make every year. And we would have people write your sins down. And then we had hammers up there and nails. And you would just come up and nail your sin. I'm a liar. I lie all the time. <laughs> I curse. And all the others. And you fold it over. Nobody would look at your sins. You didn't want everybody to know what you've done and what you do do. But we'll do that. And hopefully one day, who knows, here at Urban Hope Community Church, I like that. because It, it gave people a, a true uh, picture, a vivid picture that Jesus died for your sins, my sins. And people would come up and you can hear all over the sanctuary quietness, but you hear the nails and the hammer. The sound would just be deafening just to know um, Jesus has done and what he has done for us. But the reason why I think um, they call it Good Friday is because it was a Good Friday because death was, was defeated by his resurrection from the grave on the third day. The whole Baptist preachers would say, early Sunday morning. <laughs> now, I'm not a Baptist preacher. Every time you hear me say that, but, you know, early Sunday morning, Jesus got up from the grave. And so that's some of the thing. But from last week's sermon, I, I gave um, the difference between religion from Dr. Tim Keller versus, versus Christianity or the gospel. Um, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a fact. <laughs> it's 
real. You hear people say the new word, facts. You hear me say it a lot when I'm responding to one. I'll just say facts. Take it to the bank. <laughs> say less. <laughs> That's going to be my new term. Christianity is not a how-to. It's a real deal. Religion is always man's attempt to achieve salvation by human. Some of you are still on that roller coaster where you're, you're trying, to, trying to figure out how, how can I get to God? Can I give enough money? Well, if I stop doing this one day, you know, one day I'm not going to lust today. That's a good one. I'm not going to lust. Monday morning, not lusting. And by noonday, you've lusted a thousand times. <laughs> He's like, can't work, can't get this salvation thing right. I'm not going to ever lie again. Every time I ask me, Pastor Harry, where you from? Pastor Harry going to ask me, I'm going to tell him the truth. Nothing but the truth. I hope the truth will help me, God. Put that right hand over the chest. You say that at 6 a.m. By 9 a.m., you realize. Don't work. See, religion is this man's attempt to achieve salvation by human efforts, some form of penance through rules, rituals that are imposed by what I call the elites or power brokers of that particular religion. You in Buddhism, you in some, you in Islam, got to pray three times a day, look to the east, get on your knees, pull out your towel, lay down on the ground, whatever it is, you got to do these things. And someone came up with that. You know, and usually what I've found to be when you study all religions of the world, it's usually of the elites who come up with this stuff. Like, who, I mean, I love that when, you know, when I was touring around with Islam, you know, one of the things, like, whoever came up with this one had to be really smart, you know. But if you kill yourself, you kill yourself, you blow up a plane or whatever, and the idea, then when you die, you know this has got to be from a man. <laughs> y'all, some of y'all already laughing. You know where I'm going. And when you die, and it's, you, if you ever want to kill yourself for something like this, this would be the way to do it. You're going to get promised in this next life seven <laughs> pure, clean virgins. <laughs> now you know a man came up with that one. <laughs> I see what I like, guys, wearing the bow tie on the corner. Say, man, if I die for, the, for, the, for this cause, <laughs> I get on the other side for all eternity, seven. I don't know who came up with the number seven, maybe because it's God's perfect number or something, but it, nevertheless. <laughs> seven. So the elites, they um, come up with this stuff. Religion can never transform us into being new creations. Where the old us passes away. We can never be born again through the power of religion, but only through the gospel, which was the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the grave on her day. That's the power of the gospel. The same spirit that reached down into the grave and raised Jesus up same spirit that makes us new people. You don't got to work hard for it. You just believe the gospel. When you are born again. You have new appetites. Man, I can remember when I got born again. I was in the club two-stepping and I was doing my thing. And next thing you know, I was born again. Hands lifted up, hand, arms stretched wide, worshiping the Lord. What happened? My friends say, Louisville, they call me Louisville and Grammy. What happened to you? I really couldn't explain it because it was so new. I don't know. My hands look new. I just don't know. I don't want to curse anymore. I don't want to sit around and do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Come on, man, let's go back to the club. No, I'm, something happened to me at that church when I went to the altar. I don't know what it is. I was something new. I'm, I'm, I'm different. Born again. Born from above. The Spirit of God had come inside of me. And I knew it. 
sometimes um, in our world, especially here in America, because of Christian fame and Christian celebrity, which is all around us, especially with the social media thing that we can do, you can, you can blow a Christian up. He or she can look like a superstar. And we as the people of God can, can tend to have this concept with certain Christian leaders that people were born with superhuman powers of holiness. I know when I first went to church, I just, somehow I just thought the pastor just didn't go through what I went through. Some of y'all probably think that. Well, you see me and Sister Sandy, they probably, they probably never fight. <laughs> we just fight in holiness. <laughs> we never curse their class. We just, it just comes to the tip of our lip and we just go, Jesus. Some of y'all think that. I know I did. So we think Christians were born with superhuman powers of holiness, righteousness, that they always have strength, they always have the perfect faith, and they have a strong confidence in everything, never having no identity crisis. Some of us think that. That every time that persecution or temptation came near them or come near them, that they passed the test each and every time. Especially we think about that when we read the Bible. When we see the Bible characters, both in the old and in the new. Well, since we are in the beginning of what we call Holy Week, Palm Sunday, it will be good fitting here today to remind us that the apostles that we see now in the text, in the temple, facing persecution for the first time without Jesus being present with them in bodily form, but he is present with them by way of the Holy Spirit, that they were not the same bold disciples at Jesus' greatest persecution. In the time of his greatest need. You see, a different group of men, they were not always that way. Well, let's read some of the things that they um, turn to um, Mark chapter 14. If you read in the Pew Bible, it's page um, 1012. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 14, let's read about some of these disciples. We're going to come back to um, Acts chapter 4, but let's go down memory lane and see these disciples and how they responded when Jesus was going through his greatest persecution. And how did they, how did they respond? Where in Mark chapter 14, verse 43, it says, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, uh-oh, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. See, there's always some signs, you know. Saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him. And at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him and laid hands on him and seized him, Jesus. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So somebody is showing some bravery. <laughs> you know, high priest came up and it's like having a, you know, having a nine piece. This dude put up the sword, whoop, whoop, cut his ear off. And then Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Verse 49, day after day, I was with you in the temple, teaching, did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Here it is, verse 50. All 
left him. Hussein Bolt can't help me now and fled. And they saw all them swords and them clubs and those religious leaders, Caiaphas and Anna and all the high priests and the temple guard. Some disciples, <laughs> I run like this. <laughs> they had the thumbs up. Even if they had cowboy boots on, like Brother Chad, they were out of there. Word of God says, and they fled all. They all left. Well, let's read Mark 14, six, verse 66. Just turn to the next page. You don't even have to turn. And let's look at what happened. Let's look at verse, um, sorry, look at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. Saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. You're speaking Ebonics or something. Different language. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began, and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself, like we do today. I swear on my mama, <laughs> on my grandmama mama. Peter started coming on all the ancestors. On my daddy, daddy, my baby mama, her sons, <laughs> Peter said. And he swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, or the rooster crowed twice, you will deny me. He broke down and wept. Um, before I move on, let me make a statement here. Um, when I was preparing for this sermon, I said, Lord, you know, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him. And, of course, Peter, like most of us, nah, ain't going to happen. I'm going to go with you to the end. I will never leave you, never betray you, all that good stuff. And we do likewise. You hear me say this often. I could not have said this at 25. This is why I think pastors should live a little life. 40 is my, where I think you should be a senior pastor. You have no idea what you will do here in the next 10 years. See, took, I've lived a little life. Some of you, you don't have any idea of some things that you're going to do in the next 10 years, and you're going to question whether you are even a Christian. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus knows. He knows the moments where you're weak and you're going to flee him. I don't even know Jesus. I, I don't want to be associated with Jesus. You're just going to lose your righteous mind. And here's the good news of the story. Jesus knows. That's why we say he, he saves, he, when he saves us, he saves us from our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows the, the love of money that's still working in there. He, he knows some things. That's why the sanctification is not an, an immediate process. It's 
it's a, it's a progress. It comes over time. And Jesus knew that. But in our text today, we see this same Peter and John who had fled and denied Jesus earlier. There are now different people. They're in this temple. They're preaching the gospel. And the religious people come up against them. We know the story from last week. Caiaphas, Anna, and all of the people, the temple guard, the religious people of the day. And now they come up on the scene because of this lame man who's been healed. And now these same apostles, same disciples. And now they're, they're different people. But the answer is why? Why are they different? What has transpired that has made them different? Well, Acts 1-3 gives us a good reason why. They are so different now than before. In Acts 1-3, Jesus has been killed. He's been crucified. He's died. He's been resurrected. And Acts 1-3 says, after his suffering, they saw Jesus die on a cross. They saw him be killed between two thieves. The thieves stayed dead. But Jesus got up. And they saw him. And Acts 1-3 says, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The two thieves stayed dead. But the one in the middle, Jesus the Christ, with holes in his hand, holes in his feet, he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and that he was not no ghost. He ate. He went in and out of them. He ate food. He ate bread. He ate fish. That's a live person. Jesus was, in our day, he would go to Magic City Grill. Hey, let me get a piece of that chicken like I always do. That right there, thigh and two wings. That's what I always get. And then I throw some neck bones in there. <laughs> Try to hide it from Sandra because I don't want to know I'm always, you know, doing what I'm doing. But I'm hooked on the neck bones from Mr. White. He gave many that he was he appeared to them over the period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Peter and John and these disciples, they saw him. And then Jesus says to them, as he's about to leave and go back and sit to the right hand of the Father, but you will receive here again dunamis, power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead Trinity, God himself comes inside of you, you will be my witnesses. You will testify. Spirit of God will enliven you. And so I come to the end here. Before I come, I want to give five blessings that comes from the indwelling resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that comes to us in the face of persecution. It's right out of the text. Five blessings. Gospel blessings when the Holy Spirit comes inside of a man or a woman. It's God himself. In the face of persecution. And I said to you guys last week, I'm not going to belabor that, but I believe that the good days are over. Persecution is coming around the corner. And for you millennials, you're going to live right into it. Walt Disney and all the rest the people are going to make sure they're pressuring in. They say, you're going to leave that Jesus name out of it. 
You're going to leave it at home, and you're not going to bring it to work. You're not going to bring it outside your four walls of your house. We're going to make sure of it. The question is, what will you do 10 years from now? You give in? You say, well, they're threatening me, Pastor. I believe that the Holy Spirit's in there. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave, these five things will show up in your life. First one, when the Spirit of God is there, people will see your boldness. The Word of God said, and they saw, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. These were the same men who fled. Peter said, I don't know the man. That's on my mama. I don't know him. Never heard of this guy named Jesus. Three times. But now the word of God says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the power of the Holy Spirit, this word boldness is the Greek word Parousia, it means confidence. Peter and John, they got confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence that's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's gospel boldness. There's no more fear of death. It doesn't matter what they say, what pandemic is out there. Though we die, yet we shall live. That's the voice of a Christian. You will die. But Jesus said, if you believe in him, yet you die, yet shall you live. Resurrection, eternal life. 50 years from now, God willing, most of us will all be gone. But Jesus promised to us, if you believe in him, though you die, Yet shall you live. That generous a boldness. It's a parousia, a confidence that comes that they didn't have fear. But now they have it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come. He now indwells them, and there is a boldness. Before the Holy Spirit came into me, there was no way Jose. Jose, that I could come up here and say anything. This is an act of the Holy Spirit indwelling your pastor. We're all timid. We're all shy. We all have our temperaments. No one wants to say anything. Everyone's looking at where, oh, I don't know if you how, when I'm going to say it right. But when that Holy Spirit comes, Boldness. Because God in you is the power of God. It's the hope of glory. It's not about you. If you're still afraid, it's good to be afraid. That's why the Holy Spirit, that's why I'm here. Hey, right here. Paraclete, I'm here. Advocate, call on me. Holy Spirit, I don't know how to witness. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me how to witness to this man standing next to me in this company. Holy Spirit. Come to him, make you know he's prophesying to the guy. Tell him the guy you're praying for him or whatever. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not you. And people will see the boldness, this confidence, this. Man, where you get that confidence from, Brother Alton? Where you get it from, Dion? Man, you used to be the shyest guy in school. Now you up there singing? What happened to you? You're singing in front of the whole church? Yeah. Well, how'd you learn how to do that? I didn't learn how. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> First thing, boldness. Second thing in this God blessing, when the Holy Spirit comes upon uneducated and common people, people will be astonished. Now slow down. This word astonished means to wonder, to marvel. Uneducated. What Luke is trying to tell us that the disciples and the apostles hadn't gone through the school of the 
Anna and Caiaphas and all of that hierarchy of religion. And so, and they knew that. He said, who's giving you this kind of authority, this boldness? You guys haven't finished nothing. You haven't come through my rabbi school. Where do you get this idea that you can speak to me, Caiaphas, and Anna, and all the people in the temple like this? You're uneducated. You're not that smart. You haven't gone to the right university. You haven't gone to Harvard, Yale. Who's giving you this right to speak? You're uneducated. You're common. Commoners. The word of God says they were astonished, meaning they were marveled by what they were witnessing. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to verse 30. Keller talks about this, what we see with God's salvation in the world. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise. You are not the best. Go to the Ivy Leagues. According to the worldly standards, not many were of powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Common, uneducated fishermen. Now. They are bold, speaking the word of God. Luke says they were common people, but God had chosen them, and his spirit was in them. And now the people around them, especially the religious people, they were astonished about what they were witnessing and what they were seeing. Third blessing. People will recognize that you have been with Jesus. Or with Jesus, they'll see it. Well, how do you know you've been with Jesus? Practically, how do they know? How do they know? Well, remember, these were the same people who had just crucified Jesus. They had just killed Jesus. Jesus didn't back down not one minute. He didn't give fables. He didn't give half-truths when they came at him. He spoke the word of God. Well, how do you know, recognize that they had been with Jesus? Because first, they didn't run and hide. They're not hiding no more. They're not, well, what do you believe about do you believe there's two genders? And then if somebody asks you that question right now in this age, and you say, well, let me see what President Biden said. Let me see what some Supreme Court justice said. No. When it came to Jesus in Matthew 19, asking Jesus about marriage, what did he, what did he think about it? And Jesus went straight to the word of God in Genesis. He said, have you not read? That in the beginning, God did what? He created them. This is, you can quote this verse. He created them what? Male and female. He didn't give a bunch of hocus pocus. Have you not read? In the beginning, God created them male and female. Right there kills the argument. <laughs> now, if you start quoting Ivy League papers and stuff like that, see, you're not talking like Jesus. So Peter and James and John, they recognized they had been with Jesus because they were standing in the word of God. They stood with Jesus and they trusted what Jesus said when these moments would come to them. There was a boldness and a power. Because Jesus had told them in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, he says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, he says, Jesus says, do not be anxious 
about how you should defend yourself or what you shall say. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you. You don't have to stay up all night writing out your sermon. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And they were in that moment in front of religious people. And Jesus says, you just rely on the Holy Spirit. And people say, we recognize you've been with Jesus. How does the world recognize we've been with Jesus? Because we only say what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit said, I'm not going to give you anything that has not been written in the script. The Holy Spirit will say to you, say less, just say the word. You don't got to quote the theories, just quote the word of God. When Satan comes up, did God say, quote the word? And they will recognize that you've been with Jesus because Jesus' word in the beginning, the word was. in the word the same fourth there is no match for the wisdom of the spirit verse 14 seeing what they saw the word of God says and they had nothing to say in opposition this is just confirming that God fight your battles there is no match for the wisdom of God Wisdom is beyond finding out. In Luke 21, 12 to 15, Jesus again tells the disciples, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Jesus said, they're going to threaten you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to afflict you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake, Jesus says. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your mind, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You can't match with God. So I don't need no help. Stand on his word. Disciples were standing there that day. They said, we, don't have, we, can't, we can't do anything with this. <laughs> they said, what can we do? This guy's ill. What can we do? There is no match for the wisdom of God. Last point. Fifth blessing is the best one. Say the best for last. Here we go. Four minutes. Persecution. You will disobey as Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God. Civil magistrates, the police, the Supreme Court orders, threats, and persecutions from the governments of this world because we can't not help but speak what we have seen and heard from the Holy Spirit has come to pass. And the disciple says, whether this is right or wrong, that's for you to judge, Peter and John, in that tomb. But we cannot help but speak what we have seen with our eyes and what we have heard with our ears. That this one that you crucified and killed that he is alive and he's sitting right now even as I'm speaking to the right hand of the father ruling and reigning watching every thought from afar that Jesus is alive and Peter says you do what you want to do but we cannot help but speak testify to that which we have seen and that which we have heard have you seen or have you heard have you tasted that the Lord is good When you understand that, the 
doesn't matter what someone threatened you with death. Too late for that, bruh. Threatening me with death at 55? I just came from the doctor. Hardy, you got bad heart like your parents did. Doc, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to lose weight. But one thing I know, though I die, yet I shall live. And I believe, though I have not seen Jesus with my own naked eyes, but Jesus says to me and all of us who have not seen him with our naked eyes, but through the eyes of faith, we know that he is that he is. And John says, Verse 20, 27 to 29, Jesus talking to Thomas, one of the disciples. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Thomas was able to do that. And see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side, Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, and Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He said, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? But blessed are those in 2022, April 10th, in Fairfield, Alabama. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Paul put a gun to my head and said, Jesus, I believe. And for that, I can't help but not speak of what I have seen and what I have heard and what he has done in my life and what I've seen him do in the lives of others. It was not hocus pocus. It was not black magic. It was not hard works. It was nothing but the grace and the power of God that raised me up from sin and death and gave me this desire to love him. And what Peter says, you can do what you want. Caiaphas, we can't stop testifying. And that's what Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can't help but testify what God is. You can't help but talk to your neighbor on your right and on your left. You can't help but talk to your family members who this Jesus is. It's not a made-up thing. Either you got it or you don't. And when that spirit is there, Jesus says, you can't help but tell folks who I am, what I am, what I do, how good I am, how I deliver people from all kinds of addictions and stuff. Jesus, this is what I do. I say I make alive. I break habits. I break curses. I'm, I, I heal minds. I take a lame man from 40 years old from birth and I make him well. Jesus says, I am the real deal. Look on the world. I'm saving prostitutes. I'm saving gangbangers. I'm saving drug dealers. I'm saving lawyers and doctors and all in between. Jesus says, I've come to save. And whom I save. And whom I set free and whom my spirit touches, they are free and they're free indeed. And so the word of God says, disciples says, well, hey, silver majesty say, hey, you know what? You know what? Y'all shouldn't, um, shouldn't gather. <laughs> See, that's coming. That's where they come next week. Hey, hey, hey. This is, the, this is the law of the land. Temple garden, police. We give an edict from the temple guards. We don't want you gathering, and we don't want you talking about Jesus. Well, how shall they respond? <laughs> we'll get to that one next week. Because <laughs> we're going here's to, here's what Satan already does. If you don't obey, what's the next threat, Dion? Death. That's what you should start shouting. You should start doing that dance I was trying to do a couple weeks ago. I've been working on it, baby. I don't know why I didn't even do it. <laughs> Let him threat. So, oh, you're going to kill me. That's what you're going to do? <laughs> okay. Well, have you heard about Jesus? Yeah. Well, I'm going to live eternal life. You can make it better. I can get there sooner. Me and Greg always say, that, hey, go ahead and kill me so I can go ahead and be with Jesus. 
that's the greatest, that's the, that's the, that's the best, best trait you have. <laughs> See, you can't have that kind of confidence if you're still teeter-tottering, motherfucker. You're still thinking, this is on this side. I keep telling you, this is passing away. See, folks, millennials, I know that hit you hard yesterday, and I'm ready to pray. See, when you see a strong, vibrant 24-year-old, gone, quarterback from Ohio State. Did he beat Alabama when he was there? He's gone. Don't know his spiritual condition or anything like that. He didn't get to be 65. He was 24, earning 25 next month, I heard, for a be with his family. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But here's what I can tell you what I know. Put your faith in Jesus. And though you die, the word of God says you shall live and have eternal life. That's the promise in Jesus. In Jesus' name, pray that blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God that is preached, that encourages us, and brings faith to us. Lord, I don't know who's in the room who don't believe, who's in process of believing but you do, Holy Spirit. And the threats of death are real. As we saw with the young man yesterday. But you promise us eternal life, those who come to put their faith in Jesus. And you've given us many convincing proofs that he is alive. And he now sits to the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit, sweep over this church and continue to bring many souls into the kingdom. We thank you for it now. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand to your feet as Brother Chad comes to give the benediction.